Hey, Dylan Kelly here, host of the Wave Break Podcast. Excited to get into this episode, but first, here's a quick word from our sponsor. This episode of the Wave Break Podcast is brought to you by Clavio, the growth marketing platform most recommended by other business leaders. Listen, in uncertain times, you need to be supporting your community and growing relationships with your customers. It's going to be appreciated. It's going to be remembered. It's going to be shared. And in good times and bad, this type of communication that's open and empathetic with your customers is key. This is a key theme that we've been talking about at Waybreak. I've been preaching this on the podcast. And when you're communicating with your customers in this way, the best way to do this is with email. It is and always will be one of the best channels for delivering communication like this. And what I love about Klaviyo is that email is one of its core offerings. And their personalization that you can do inside Klaviyo is just, it can't be beat. And when you leverage that personalization driven by a 360 degree view of the customer, these emails are going to feel more relevant and they're going to drive even stronger relationships. And Klaviyo gets it. They're not just, you know, some company. They understand how challenging it is right now for every entrepreneur. You know, it was hard to get your business off the ground and navigating these times is even harder. And if you're feeling overwhelmed with growing your business, know that you're not alone. Clavio is here to help you build relationships across any distance for your brand and create memorable and meaningful email marketing moments that last a lifetime. And that's how you build a successful e-commerce brand. And this is why I love Klaviyo so much, because they're on the same page with me and Wavebreak is like, we're not just about making more revenue, that's great, but what this is really about is an opportunity to create an amazing community with your customers, and the best way to do it is with email. And if you're not on Klaviyo, you gotta get on Klaviyo. Visit klaviyo.com to schedule a free trial. That's K-L-A-V. IYO.com. Are you looking for ways to incorporate SMS and MMS into your marketing strategy? Add marketing text to current campaigns. With widely successful transaction rates up to 481% higher, birthday offers are a good place to start. Send customers a birthday offer to the channel that's almost always at hand, the mobile device. If they don't make a purchase, send a follow-up text in two days so your message doesn't get overlooked. Get more campaign ideas and see how AI-powered marketing automation is changing e-commerce. Learn more at bloomreach.com slash waybreak. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Waybreak Podcast, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of some of the world's top brands. Today is no different, but before we get into today's episode, let me introduce myself. I'm Dylan Kelly, founder and CEO at Wavebreak, a leading email and CRM agency supporting leading brands like Curology, Nutrafol, and many others over the last six plus years, helping them maximize revenue from email and SMS marketing. You can learn more about partnering with us by visiting our website, linked down in the show notes below, or going to wavebreak.co to schedule a call to learn more. We've also recently released brand new guides on our best-in-class practices, which you can see in the resource section of our website. Thanks for listening to this episode. Learn more about Wavebreak by going to wavebreak.co. And today, I'm excited to be joined by Jed Rose, president and co-founder at Topo Designs. Topo Designs was started in a basement, and today, they have their own retail stores. They're sold in retailers all around the United States, and they've grown into a leading brand. I'm excited to have Jed Rose on the show today to talk about exactly how they did it. Jed, thanks so much for coming on the show. Absolutely. Glad to be here. It'll be fun to chat through it. Yeah, I'm really excited to learn about the behind the scenes of Topo Designs. I've been watching from afar for a while now and excited to learn even more about the brand. So take me back to the beginning for the brand. You started it over 10 years ago now, probably getting close to... I mean, it's it's been a while. So yeah, take me back to the beginning. Sure. Yeah, we uh, we started in uh, 2008, uh, and anybody who was around then knows that probably wasn't the best time to start a new company during the uh, last financial uh, disaster that we had. Uh, so it was a pretty interesting time, honestly. Um, but uh, at that time, we were sort of you know in the in the midst of of this really interesting time, especially like in in menswear, um, that was kind of going back to a lot of heritage, um, a lot of brand stories, a lot of questions about how things are made and and um, the process around them too. And I think for for me especially, that was that was really fascinating to look at 
um, how that uh, thinking could be applied to an outdoor brand. Um, I would say that most of the outdoor brands at that time were really focused on technology and innovation and what's next and sort of leaving the past behind and looking towards the future. Um, and, you know, and inherently that's, that's what makes uh, a lot of the outdoor industry really great. I think what I saw was a, a great opportunity to bring um, a little bit more of that brand story and a little bit uh, more of the, I don't know, soul um, that was uh, sort of missing behind um, a lot of the outdoor brands in, into a brand. Um, and I had more of a, uh, background in yeah like the brand side and and graphic design and um working with uh you know more uh agency style work um nothing really on the on the product side so the idea of getting into product was really fascinating to me it was also pretty daunting at the same time that i really didn't know how how it was done how people made it or um you know what the whole process was so i just sort of jumped and did it yeah, that's amazing. So it's 2008, you have this like marketing design background in the agency world. I guess like what was the thought to start the brand in 2008? Like did anything happen or you're just like I've been thinking about this for a long time, I have to go for it or like how did you come up or how did you decide to go for it? Yeah, it was more of a a personal decision for me. I got a degree uh in sculpture and and did fine art in in school um and really kind of thought of myself as probably doing that more as a career, maybe teaching or, you know, trying to do the the fine art thing uh, as a job, but ended up taking a couple of graphic design classes after the last year of, of school and, um, you know, just sort of transitioned into that world because it was a lot easier to get a job doing that. And I ended up doing it, yeah, for about 10 years or so and, and really, you know, never felt like that was my career path, but I had been on that path for a long time. And so I had always been really interested as a kid in in brands and in in fashion and in gear and you know the being in Wyoming growing up most of the things to do were were outside so kind of hybridizing all of that stuff in my personality um I guess I just sort of you know had a little mini midlife crisis or something and really decided that I wanted to do something that was you know interesting to me I I'd, I'd been like I was saying working in the agency world for so long that I was I was constantly working on projects for other people that were you know sort of solving their problems and the the products that that they wanted to uh work on which which was great I really liked the variety of it but um it was always sort of um, something for someone else. And I, I guess I just really wanted to start doing something that I was really interested in too, and get back to the product side uh, as well and, and really um, kind of, you know, make something that was was able to, you know, sort of hold in your hands and, and have a, it be a physical object at the end of the day that you could use. So for me, it was, yeah, really a personal interest and the sort of business and the brand um, sort of came out of it after you know, spending a year in the basement and my wife sort of saying like, you probably need to do something with this if you're going to keep working on it so much. So um, ended up sort of moving it into uh, more more of a business. Uh, I hooked up with my uh, business partner at that time too. And he was sort of in, in between gigs and was up for the challenge. And um, we have a nice sort of complimentary uh, personality sets. He, he's, he's very up for, you know, problem solving and and risk and um sort of going out and, and making things happen and I'm fairly risk adverse and and more on the creative side and like to you know solve the the brand uh problems and so um looked like a you know a good way to kind of get things moving uh more quickly for me that um I didn't have to solve all those problems uh by myself uh at once and just sort of lean into things that I was good at. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's great on the complementary skill sets as well. In Absolutely. terms of launching during that time, like, did you launch it knowing, like, was, did you launch in 2008, like before everything hit the fan or was it after, or like, what was it like navigating and running an early startup during that time? Yeah, it was, I, I would say it kind of like at the same time, um, when things were, uh, sort of falling apart. Um, I think, for us, it was more of a slow roll and, and we were doing it all by ourselves. So we were a little bit immune to those bigger macroeconomic factors that were happening at the time because we were so small. 
Um, we were funding it ourselves. We literally put, you know, just a tiny bit of money in each and, and bought some fabric and um, bought some hardware and, and found a local sew shop that was sort of just starting up and looking for a new client. Um, and so we, you know, kind of really lucked out in that way. And we were doing everything in the US. So it was very low minimums, um, low investment, and uh, we were able just to take it slowly. So I think that really helped. Um, we weren't looking out, you know, going to get investment money or, um, you know, trying to build something that was super expensive right off the bat or, or create a bunch of inventory or go really quickly. Um, so we were able to sort of just navigate the the time and um, sort of, I think, you know, read the market in a way where we saw an opportunity there uh, where people really were sort of like stepping back, buying fewer things, looking for higher quality, looking for brands that they really connected with the story around. And I think we actually found kind of a sweet spot because of that uh, at that time to sort of shift people's buying behavior and, and things that they were looking for in the market. Yeah, that's awesome to hear like, you know, because we're kind of in similar times, potentially, maybe, right. I don't know, some people are like, oh, looming recession, I'm kind of like, well, what's this, what's the last like year or six months been? Um, right. But, but I'm curious, like, what's your take compared to, you know, similarities today, obviously, you run a much larger company today, it's the same company. But yeah, I'm curious, your take on like the current state of the market. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think luckily there are, a, you know, they're, they're a little bit more complexity to what's happening right now. Like the job market seems to be still super strong and performing super well. So that's sort of keeping things a little bit um, more afloat. Um, whereas, you know, back in 2008, that really wasn't the case. So um, I think it's, it's, it's less of a, you know, one-sided event that's happening now and and more um nuanced and hopefully we'll you know transition out um a little bit faster than than we did back in, in 2008 but there definitely are some similarities you know the the recent uh banking uh issues that have been happening are, are very reminiscent of, of that time as well too so um hopefully it'll you know it'll transition in a, in a much better way than, than it did back then. But yeah, definitely a lot of similarities getting a little bit of, um, yeah, PTSD. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a little too similar, but yeah, we don't have to, we don't have to talk about that part. Um, but <laughs> you survived, you made it, you made it right. through that time. Like what are some of the key lessons through those like first few years of building, growing the brand? You said you had no idea what you're doing. You never even made a shirt before. But you're trying to figure out, you know, how do I take this design background? I want to create products for myself. How did you go from there? Yeah, I think we we kind of did sort of two things. Um, one was both uh, my business partner and I leaned into the strengths that we had, right? So I, I knew that um, I had a lot of knowledge around building a brand, even doing things like, you know, building a website, starting e-commerce, um, taking photography of of our products things like that like th those things we could really do in-house um my business partner had uh, a lot of operational experience too um he was more sort of in the um in the tech world managing development before that um so he was able to um you know kind of take on the complexity of, of manning managing the operations as well so those skill sets, I would say, are the things that um, are a big part of our original, um, I would say, success that, you know, weren't necessarily things that were specifically tied to that industry, but are a big part of that industry. And then on the things that we didn't know, um, I would say that we just really sort of powered through it and just kept working on it all the time. Um, people always ask me like, oh, yeah, was there a, you know, a thing that, you know, really clicked or changed for you guys or you know was there a big event that happened and I can't I can't honestly really think of one that really changed things for us it was just sort of like grinding on it every day and it's you know it's not very sexy to say that but yeah um, it is one of those things where we just kept working the problem all the time I think in retrospect one of the things I definitely would have done more than that I really do now is just reach out to people and talk to them and try to learn as much as possible from people who have done it before. Um, knowing what I know now, it, people who do 
things well turns out they really like to talk about them you know and they're they're happy to uh share their knowledge on things that they know a lot about it it's kind of it's kind of exciting for them i mean there's a there's a fine line between giving away all your secrets and, and helping someone too but um i think you know because i eventually developed a lot of really good relationships within the industry um, I would have done that earlier and, and just that would have helped us um, progress uh, a lot faster. I would also say we were doing things in a much different way than a lot of people were doing in the industry because we started out building things in the US. There were very, very few people who were doing it. So there weren't a lot of resources anyway. There weren't a lot of people to talk to on on how to do it. Um, so we ended up sort of just building that whole process that worked for us locally here and it was it was fine it was it was definitely a, a much slower path um to building a, a company but um it also you know matched where we were with I mean, not having financing and not having a real clear uh idea what we wanted to do and um that actually worked out fairly well so we just sort of like built our process as we went along and and you know probably naively just didn't stress about that much either which was which was pretty good i would i would say that's yeah that's the way advice i give to people is is it's just keep working the problem and don't stress about the fact that you have everything figured out ahead of time you know unless you this is like your 10th time doing it then you should probably know what's going on at that point but if you're just starting like just go for it you know yeah, totally. No, that's great advice. And I love also that you're just honest. You're like, yeah, there's no real lucky break. We just kind of like grinded it out, slow right. burn. Because you you hear people and they're like, oh yeah, it was this inflection point. Kim Kardashian posted us on our story or whatever, and right. then everything changed. It's like, right. if you don't have that moment, it can be like demotivating. But there's so many brands, especially the brands that make it, like it takes mm -hmm. a long time. Like it's been like 15 years yeah. you're running this brand. Like what have you learned about just like staying at it? Yeah, I, I mean, I think... And what I've learned through that yeah, 15 year process is that it really does just take this, I think, uh, just willingness to keep going with it. Like any number of things can kill you as a business, right? Like there are a hundred thousand things that can make it not work. Um, so you just kind of have to be in that mindset that there's a lot of stuff that's going to come at you and you have to deal with it as you go and you have to plan, you know, as much as you can for that ahead of time, uh, as possible. And obviously the larger you get, um, the bigger the bets get, um, from, uh, the business perspective as well too. So at the beginning, you, you are a lot more nimble. You are a lot, um, more able to take chances and, and do things that, um, you probably won't be able to do, uh, as a, as a bigger business too. So you should, you know, you should probably lean into that a bit. Um, you can also connect with customers really, really, uh, intimately at that beginning stage of, of being a brand. People love finding new brands. They love, um, having that, you know, initial kind of like honeymoon phase where they feel like they're, you know, one of a handful of people that are really involved with this small, uh, group that's making cool stuff. So, um, you know, that, that kind of overall lifespan of a business is just something that, um, you need to kind of be prepared for and, and, and look out, um, for the, for the next phases in there. But overall, I would just say like, you just really have to be willing to get through those hurdles that are sometimes, you know, fairly big ones that are probably way more emotional than you thought it was going to be and, and way more, um, you know, mentally challenging than you thought to um, that just sort of take uh, some persistence and pers perseverance at the end of the day. Yeah, for sure. In terms of like where the brand is at today, I mean, you've been through a lot. Can you just share like where the brand is today? Like the product line has expanded a lot. The business is now, I think, like over 60 people or something like that. You recently raised your first investment round. Tell us where's the brand at today? Yeah, it's, I would say, you know, we've really sort of taken a big level up, especially working with our friends at the guard group uh, with this recent investment um, in Topo. Yeah, it's it's our after 15 years, it's our first time taking investment. So that's a that's a big change for us uh as a business. It's a big change for us um, you know, as as owners of a company um now too. We're, you know, very early into it. So I'll, I'll keep you posted on um, you know, what we learned throughout that that phase. But 
Yeah, we're, I would say, you know, really feeling like uh, a much more mature company and, and brand at this point than than we ever have. Our our product line is is really well-rounded. We have a, you know, full line of apparel for men, full line of apparel for women, um, full line of uh, bags and accessories. Um, and, you know, the, the quality of the product, um, the people we have in-house, um, working on the, the product and the brand and the operations and sales and basically everybody that we have is, is a professional at this point too, which is, which is really nice. And it's, it's, uh, it's a really different phase of life than, you know, when you're first starting and you sort of hire a person and you tell them they've got 10 jobs and they're probably going to be good at one or two of those and that's okay. And, they just need to power through all of it. Um, now we are able to allow people to specialize more and and be really good at their jobs and, and hopefully grow their careers uh, within Topo as well. So internally, that's a that's a nice um, change. And then externally, just being able to really capitalize on you know some of the ideas around products, some of the ideas around brand that we've always wanted to do, but really just needed that, you know, more rock star set of people uh, internally to be able to execute um, at a high level on that too. So it's definitely a really exciting uh, phase that we're in now. And, um, you know, it comes with a different set of challenges as well, but those are kind of new and exciting to to um, go after rather than, um, you know, early days of, of just trying to sort of like scrape by and, and make it happen. So I'm, I'm definitely, I'm, I'm pumped about this phase and looking forward to it. Yeah, that's really exciting. With the product, like the products look great. How did you think about expanding the product line from your initial products to like the full catalog that you have today? Yeah, thanks. I would say very early on at Topo, we always really wanted to be uh, a pretty holistic outdoor brand. And um, so we've been doing bags and apparel almost um, since the beginning. But now, like I said, kind of with the talent we have in-house and the knowledge we have and the skill set of of our you know manufacturing partners, we're really able to to sort of bring all of that to life. Um, which is great. So I would say it's, yeah, it's probably less of this thing that um, is a is a new idea of expansion for us and more of just sort of the, you know, full manifestation of the original idea that we had with Topo, which is great now. And, and again, we kind of, you know, focus on a set of products that is uh, probably, you know, more of a, a lifestyle outdoor uh, brand that are more utilitarian, less hyper-specific um, into uh, like, you know, really specific sports or really sort of specific activities and more uh, things that you can just use every day and sort of transition back and forth between, you know, going to work and, and being outside and traveling and just the weekend and, and all the things that people do. So um, it's really nice to be able to, yeah, kind of bring that vision to life through the through the product lens um, and have the product, um, you know, be great on the back end too. Yeah, totally. And I like that there's like an additional level of like functionality to each product. Like there's always like an extra strap or something that's like not right. very typical. How do you how do you like test and like come up with ways like do you like buy competitor products and then you're like what pocket do I wish I had or like how do you think <laughs> through the product development process? Yeah, I'd say you know a, a ton of us at Topo are, are massive product fans as well. So we we buy other brands, we experience other things. Um, we're always you know researching and looking to see what's out in the marketplace as well, um, and then just sort of see what you know the overall mix of all those things are for Topo. So we always try to make sure that it's going to perform outdoors first, um, and sometimes that's you know more classic pieces that are are lifestyle based that people wear outdoors you know like people wear a cotton flannel they wear a pair of um work pants they wear things that are not necessarily like specifically outdoor but fit in that outdoor culture really well so we make things like that um and then try to uh you know either add a set of functionality that will perform outdoor or make sure that it, um, you know, is in appearance going to be able to transition from outdoor um, back to the city or or to work or, or any of those things as well, too. So um, there are also, you know, just sort of like 
personal quirks and and um, use cases that everybody has internally that you know are are some of those things that we build into the product. Like uh, one of our jackets, for example, like we we have a, a jacket called our Global Jacket that um you know we really wanted a shell that would travel well it would perform outdoor it would you know you could wear it to work you could wear it um out in town um and so the the fabric build on it was really important that it was super soft super lightweight super stretchy but in turn you know fully waterproof and is going to perform when you need it um in a downpour when it's snowing but there was also this kind of tweak to it that we um, were really trying to solve is when you pack a jacket in a bag or in a backpack or in a, you know, even in a smaller bag, it always just sort of like, you know, expands and, and blows up when you're open your bag again, right? So we added this little tiny strap on the back where you can roll it up and flip the strap over the whole thing. And so it just sort of looks like a a little burrito that you can put in your bag. It stays compact and um, allows you to take it with you wherever you go. And, and you'll end up bringing it probably more often than you would um, just because of that. So we're always looking at opportunities like that, that, um, you know, I would say are like techie and sort of, you know, tweaker addition to things too. But it, you know, it's more of like a, uh, a value add and a um, um, just sort of like a use case scenario technology that we add rather than um, adding technology just to um, add new technology or, you know, fanciness to a product. Yeah, totally. Another thing I want to talk about is like the color and design of the product. We were talking before we press record about how like we've evolved into such a plain culture, like colors right. gone away. Every product is like, especially in the outdoor space, like the same core colors that's like very quote unquote outdoorsy, I'll say, whereas Topo Designs kind of goes the other direction with like, you know, really bright colors that catch your eye, different patterns. Um, how do you think about that aspect of the product? I think it was a lot of uh, sort of what you were saying, you know, especially in the early days, we were seeing a lot of this sameness in the outdoor industry and sort of the same palette across it. Um, fairly uninteresting. Um, I think when, you know, a lot of the inception idea around Topo was looking at 70s uh, outdoor uh, that was, you know, backpacks and, and um, jackets and apparel and that was really um, 60s and 70s, really, when, you know, nylon became a, a big thing in the outdoor industry. And they were like, oh, wow, we can dye this stuff really cool colors. It's not like cotton where it's sort of just a dull drab thing um, in the background. And so I was really looking at that, you know, early nylon palette um, that was really kind of a new and bold thing in the industry. Um, as well as I've always been a pretty massive sneakerhead <laughs> over my life, too. And, you know, even to today, sneakers are probably the best color story of any product out there, right? They have a hundred different colors on just one sneaker. So for me, it was, it was combining that. Um, and then probably a lot of the graphic design uh, background that I had too, that was just really, really color-based and um, a lot of color theory in there. So um, it was, you know, a big part of my background, my interests, and then sort of an opportunity in the marketplace to apply a little bit more color to it and a little bit more excitement. And it turns out that, you know, sometimes that works better on uh, bags than it does apparel. You know, a lot of people don't want to wear a crazy color blocked uh, pair of pants or something like that, you know, so... <laughs> When we were originally doing bags, it was it was really, uh, um, I think, you know, uh, a great thing to apply color to as well, because people carry a bag around that's really bright and then maybe be a little more chill with their clothing. This episode is brought to you by Tidio, the highest rated live chat software on Shopify. Through live chat, chatbots and ticketing, Tidio helps Shopify merchants gain and retain more customers with personalized shopping experiences. With Tidio, you can recommend products and offer discounts based on user behavior and order history, all without leaving the chat widget. This increases conversions and revenue. Tidio also takes the pressure off your support team. The app enables you to manage all of your communication channels in one dashboard and to be able to automate up to 47% of recurring questions. If you want to increase sales and customer satisfaction with personalized shopping experiences, visit tidio.com slash leaders. That's T-I-D-I-O dot com slash leaders. 
to start using Tidio Premium. And I was able to get an exclusive discount for listeners. So make sure you use that link and promo code leaders. It's going to be linked down in the show notes below. But use that link and that code to get an exclusive discount all while leveraging the highest rated live chat software on Shopify. Go check them out. Yeah, what does that look like? How do you know? I'm sure at this point, you know, 15 years into the game, you kind of have yeah. like a, a rough feeling of like, you know, what products you should push the envelope on. How do you think about that? Like, how do you think about taking those risks? Is it like, oh, we'll just order less or like we know like with bags, we can have more fun with it. Or how do you think about like still taking those risks as an established brand these days? Yep. Yeah, that's a good question. We we tend to do it uh, a little bit each season. We'll have some brighter colorways and a few things, maybe a little capsule collection of, um, you know, a crazier print or um, do a collab uh, with uh, another brand that tends to push it a little bit. Um, but I would say that, you know, the market and trend and our customer base sort of does most of the dictating of, of what works and, and what doesn't for us. So, I mean, there are honestly only so many colors of a pair of men's pants that you can sell um, consistently. And that really does adapt and change with time. You know, sometimes black is out of fashion. Sometimes Navy's in fashion. Sometimes Navy's out of fashion. Sometimes black's back in fashion, right? So where are we today yeah. in the black Navy fashion? I would say black's definitely dominant over, over okay. just about everything. It's still pretty strong. Um, you know, we went through a phase of, of military colors being really strong for years and years and years where everybody is wearing like full khaki and full olive and full black. And, um, so I think that's, that's trending out a little bit now, but, um, I do think it's, you know, it's nice that we're coming back into this more colorful, uh, spectrum of, of products. And, you know, it's even happening back into interior design too, like, 70s interiors are coming back in with a lot of brighter colors and um, crazier furniture and, you know, carpets coming back in and, and crazy tile and, and things like that. So um, I would say that we try to tap into a lot of those things that are outside of just uh, our industry as well. And looking at um, trends that are happening in even like food and beverage and, um, you know, hotels and interior design. Um, and I think that helps us give a little bit of a unique flavor um, to what we're doing, but still is um, real relevant to the consumer because they're seeing it happen elsewhere and they're just not seeing it happen maybe on a backpack, but it's it's uh, it's something they're, they're really familiar with, um, even if they don't know it. Right. How do you like stay ahead of those trends? Because it's not like you can just go, I mean, maybe you can, but like, I imagine you can't just go launch a product like next month based on what you see trending today. I've always wondered, like, how do you figure out what's where, like, okay, like you're saying, like these colors are trending out, like you're planning for next year. How do you know that in advance? Yeah, it's, that's probably the trickiest bit being on the creative side is is that, uh, you know, crystal balling into the future. Um, it's, it's honestly fairly difficult. I think um, there are some trends that tend to persist and you sort of can lean into those until they don't exist anymore. And then you probably have some product that is a little bit off trend. You tend to place some bets on things that you think might happen that don't ever come to fruition. And um, it just sort of, you know, was was your idea that it didn't work. And then um, hopefully, you know, there's a sweet spot in the, in the big middle there where um, you can see trends happening. Um, you can lean into it a little bit. And, you know, I think overall, you really always want to have a bit of, of your own look and feel to it. Um, and that's sort of the secret sauce. If you can have your stuff look um unique but still be um on trend and and connect with people um yeah it's that's that's what the magic that you're always looking for but yeah it's up for us i mean we're, we're usually working on a an 18 month to two year uh product cycle um where we're um yeah having to predict that far in the future having to bring revenue out then as well um yeah and sort of, you know build into a a much bigger company and a much different thing than we have right now as well as a much different world um than exists right now too but that that's what makes me excited is I, yeah when i see a new trend come to fruition it's like uh it's like seeing a new color that i've never seen before you know it just is 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 it literally like you know gives me chills it's it's so awesome i love that yeah, that is really cool. I think we're going to enter a really exciting time with like new 
I don't know. I feel like everything got really boring and I feel like a lot of creativity is coming back again, um, which is really exciting to see. I'm curious, like as a designer, is there anything you see that's gotten boring that you're like, oh, that's so boring. We should do this differently. Yeah, I think, um, you know, just just uh, sleek minimalism for its own sake is is to me, I, you know, I was fully bought into it for a really long time. But I think it just, you know, there's there's not a lot of soul in there and there's not a a lot of, I guess, something to connect with as a person. I think very often if it's if it's sleek and minimal um, and the design is is great and it functions really well, then that's one thing, right? Like, and it's really high quality. Um, but I think just, you know, stripping everything away with no color, with no, you know, I think inherent, yeah, goodness to it. I think that's a thing that hopefully will will transition out a little bit. I think there are some good things that will um, tend to persist out of there. But um, I'm looking forward to, yeah, this this new phase of uh, more complexity, more richness, more color, more, um, you know, kind of drawing from a lot of different uh, places rather than um, just stripping everything away. And I think that's true, um, you know, on both the product and the brand side. Like if you look at a lot of new uh, brand visuals coming out right now, especially like, you know, videos from brands, uh, they tend to be really complex now. A lot of graphics added in them, um, like tons of editing in there, lots of different camera styles and angles and effects that are applied to them. And um, that's that's really exciting to me because there's a ton of creativity that goes into that and a ton of richness. And I think just, you know, visual stimulus that I think people sort of need now um, that uh, really wasn't, you know, the case uh, about 10 years ago, um, which is which is exciting and cool. And it's, you know, it's, it's a next new thing that'll be um, interesting to see how it evolves. Yeah, it's like we all needed to unplug and recharge from like the 90s and 2000s where like everything was so colorful. We're like, okay, we're getting rid of all the art off the wall. But (laughs) I completely relate to that because I was big in on the minimalism train like years ago. And then about a year ago, I like hung a photo on a wall and I was like, (laughs) wow, that really makes a difference in a great way. Like it looks amazing. Um, and now I'm like all for it. You know, there's like the whole trend coming back. It'll pop up in my Instagram feed of people who are like, like you're saying, recreating like sixties and seventies aesthetics in their, you know, New York loft apartment or whatever. And it looks super cool and like lived in instead of like, you know, the minimalism with like, you know, just the couch and bed in the corner aesthetic that was so trendy right uh, a few years ago but yeah you can yeah. like add a bit of yourself in there too which is great right and you can have a bit of uniqueness which is which is also nice and nice and, and you know look at things that maybe reminded you of a great experience that you had or um you know take you to a different place that um are not really yeah available within that uh really stark context yeah for sure in terms of like you you we talked a lot about product and then you brought up a good point about like even brand in general is like changing how do you think about brand in general? Yeah, I think um, uh, it's it's a really cool spot for um, brands to exist. I think right now that the you know the full spectrum of you know everything from a small Kickstarter brand to really really massive brands, sort of all being equally accepted uh, by the consumer right now and adopted and, and integrated into their lives is, is really fascinating. It's it's not sort of one or the other. Um, and so there's a there's a really full spectrum of how you can exist as a brand and there's not sort of like one um, formula for it, right? So I think that's, that's also fairly tricky <laughs> to figure out right. what you want to sit as a brand, what do you want to look like, um, what do you want to sound like? What are you going to connect your uh, to your consumer um, with? And um, you know, picking your path in there or a combination of of all those paths, um, especially for us as a brand that's you know more mature in terms of how long we've been around, um, is is a little bit uh, interesting. But we're obviously not uh, a massive brand either. So we need to find this sweet spot of, of being, you know, looking our age and, and not trying to talk too much about, uh, high school football still, but, um, kind of still being interesting and connecting with people and, and pushing the boundaries a little bit. Um, but I would say in a little bit more mature way and in a, in a way that we know is going to connect with our consumer base. Cause that's, um, you know, a better bet for us in the future to try to build in that, um, to our brand. 
Yeah, totally. And then how do you think about growing the brand now that it's hit a certain level of scale? Is it like we want to, you know, build out own retail stores, we want to continue to grow our wholesale partners, or we want to, you know, we're scaling to new advertising channels? Like, how do you think about, you know, growing the brand from a marketing perspective? Yeah, I mean, I, yes, all that stuff. Right? <laughs> um, I think that's that's one thing that uh, we've always really leaned into uh, since the very beginning is is trying to be as omnichannel as as possible. Um, obviously, you know, D 2 C is is very big for us, just like it is for everybody. Um, but yeah, investing more in our brand owned retail um, is definitely going to be a big part of our future. Finding, um, you know, even more opportunities with our existing wholesale partners that we have um, here in the U.S. as as well as internationally is a big one. Um, And then, yeah, really looking at what are the best new, new school ways of uh, exposing people to the brand that, you know, are probably, you know, the most cost effective too. As we all know, digital has become really expensive. Um, so even more old school ways of, of doing things um, are, you know, more attractive uh, these days as well too. So yes, things like brand on retail, um, big part of the brand strategy, because being able to, um, you know, have people in the store, talk to them about the brand, have that full immersive experience with the brand, um, and, and really like get firsthand feedback from them. It's something that is, is really difficult to do in just about any of the other channels. Um, if, you know, they're experiencing your brand in a wholesale partner that are surrounded by a bunch of other brands, it's, you know, it's a good experience, but at the same time, you don't have that sort of like captive audience that you do within your own retail stores. We also see a lot of great lift um, from our uh, e-com side from our brand retail stores just because of the brand exposure around those retail locations. So, um, and actually our wholesale partners tend to see a lift as well, um, which was very confusing, I think, to uh, maybe all of us uh, when yeah. we were going into brand retail. A lot of our retail partners were like, well, you guys already have a store, so we don't probably need to carry you in this location that's that's close to your store. But um, when they did, they actually did a lot better with our brand than they did before, just because of the um, you know the brand awareness uh, in that area really um, kind of sort of, you know, lifts all chips. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's definitely a big part of our plan and, um, it's, it turned out to work out really well for us. Yeah. That's awesome. Was as a creative is walking into the physical store. Is that like one of your favorite parts? I feel like if, if I had a brand, that would be my favorite part, like walking into my own store and being like, this is epic. Oh yeah. It's awesome. I mean, it's, it's really, yeah. Like your own little world that you get to, um, design and, and craft and create. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's more difficult probably than, than people would think just creating a great I bet. Uh, experience for people. Cause it really is all the experiences. It's, it's music, it's lighting, it's the interaction with the sales associate. It's how your products look and feel. It's, it's how you know, the flow of the store works. It's, um, you know, which collections you want to feature, all of those things. But the good thing is that you get to do that um, and you get to be in charge of it and, and you can, you know, change it up and, and move around and um, try new things uh, as needed. So yeah, it's, I mean, the the experience in your own retail store is, is really awesome. And then, you know, being able to have events with, uh, you know, local businesses that are there next to you or launching a collab or launching a new line for a season um, is really fun to have all those customers come in and, you know, tell you stories about the brand and, and what they've been doing and how they experience it with um, their, how they experience it um, is, is really, really nice too. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a, it's sort of a, a great holistic um, experience as a business owner to be able to do that. Yeah, that's awesome. I feel like it's like the idea of like designing a store is very similar to like designing a house. Like you see a bad house and you're like, I know this is bad and I could do better. And then you sit down with a piece of paper and you're like, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> right, like, exactly. I've only known this because I walked into like a really like not great retail store and I was like, something's just off and I could like tell. Um, yeah. But it's so it, it's one of those things that when it's nailed, you don't even notice it. Like, how did you like any interesting learnings on that? Like, do you need like 10 times the amount of items in the store than you thought to make it look full because like i feel like 
I don't know, in my head, what I would design would probably be way too empty. And it would look like it's like, <laughs> right. I don't know, quarter full. I don't know. Any interesting learnings now that you've built it at quite a few stores? Yeah, for us, we tend to let the product really shine in the stores. So we we tend to build fixtures that really display the product a lot rather than, um, like you're saying, be very minimal about it. It's sort of, you know, I would, we're not, we're not over, um, um, complicated with the stores, but we're also um, really filling them with our product. We have these really big uh, peg walls with all of our bags on them. So when you come in, you just sort of look up and around at all of the colors of these bags and all the diversity of these bags, and you get a really quick, uh, you know, s- solid feeling of, of what the brand is about. So I would say we've really sort of designed the stores to let the product shine. We've also found kind of a sweet spot of of um the size of the stores too where um we tend to like a smaller footprint that is way more intimate that is a little bit more limiting on how much product we can carry in a store but um does have more of that sort of like living room experience that that you were talking about that you come in you feel it it's nice and cozy. Um, you know, you have a lot of interaction with the sales associate and um, you just can quickly get uh, what the brand is about and, and sort of just feel good in the space too. So um, for us, it's, you know, the design is is limited to that footprint and we have to be really, I think, uh, optimizing that space. Whereas if we had a, a much bigger footprint, it would honestly be harder design and, and we'd have the design <laughs> to that too yeah. as well. But um, for us, it's, yeah, it's a lot about the experience in the space. Yeah. You might need more products um, right. <laughs> to be able to even fill it. Like, yeah. yeah, something interesting. One thing I'd like to end on, because I know we are running out of time is you've got the, um, you've got the airport retail stores. Mm-hmm. What was the, what was, that's something that's like not super common with like, you know, first generation, like of this, like DTC era, of brands. Um, typically it's a lot of like the legacy players, you know, the same old that you see in every airport. Um, curious, like how are the airport stores doing? And like, also what made you want to go in the airport? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it, I have to give credit to my business partner, Mark on that one. He, he definitely had a connection that, uh, we were talking to you about other retail, uh, locations and was connected to the airport and had a, um, you know, just an opportunity for us to try it out. And he was really smart about the idea of, you know, especially the Denver airport is, you know, it's one of the busiest airports in the world, right? So just the amount of brand exposure of people walking by seeing your brand there um, is is really, really uh, impactful. So um, even if they're not buying anything, they may cruise by, see it and wonder, huh, that, you know, that's a kind of a cool bag. I I should check that brand out. Airports also um, have evolved quite substantially over the past decade or so where shopping and the experience and um, really having a a local feel to them has been, I think, a really smart and um, strategic move for for a lot of the bigger, uh, more progressive airports. So Denver, for example, has, um, you know, several spots uh, in the airport that are like small pieces of Denver that are all built into the airport. So um, having that brand experience for us associated with other Denver brands and people coming to the city um, and to Colorado and looking for something that is a part of uh, Colorado and is, and is very you know inherently Colorado looking and feeling um, turns out to, to be a good thing for us. Cause we are a very Colorado brand and we look and feel like Colorado. We, you know, our stuff says Colorado on it. So, um, being in a spot where, you know, tourists are coming through, um, and, uh, really want a piece of, of something that, uh, in, in the location that they're going to, but, you know, isn't, isn't necessarily like a piece of junk that, someone they're giving it to is going to toss it or, or they're not going to use it um, is, is, is really great and, and has been really beneficial to us. So yeah, it's, it's worked well. Yeah. That's super cool. Do they do a decent amount of volume? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. They, they perform really, really well for us too. And 
Oddly enough, a lot of people that know about the brand from Colorado end up buying something there because they are at the airport. They have a little time. They're exposed to the store and they're like, oh, man, I just, you know, I've been meaning to grab something. But here it is right here. I can just grab it right here. You know, so um, I get a lot of photos and markets, a lot of photos too. of people like I'm in the airport. I'm actually buying something right now. I'm super pumped about it. I'm going to take it on my trip or I just got home. I'm going to grab something. I'm excited to take it home with me. Um, so, yeah. It's 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 uh it's been a, a really smart move um and and been a great uh retail um you know learning experience for us as well. Yeah, that's awesome. I figure if like Tumi can make it work and people are just I don't even know, like <laughs> buying a thousand dollar piece of luggage and then what you throw right. the rest of yours, you just throw it in the trash there. Like I don't understand how that exactly works. Like, oh yeah, I'm in the airport. Let me buy a thousand dollar piece of luggage and just get right. rid of whatever I have. But um, look, if they can make it work, <laughs> I exactly. imagine you can do an even exactly. better job. Um, right. Yeah, and I think the airport is ripe for renovate, ripe for innovation, renovation yeah. too. <laughs> Many definitely, of them, but, definitely both of those but, things. Uh, yeah. Having a good experience in the airport because people are traveling so much these days is is a very smart move with a lot of the airports in the world. Totally. And like you're saying, like people love these like smaller up and coming brands, especially if it's something that's unique to the area. It's like, oh, right. this is cool. Like I remember as a kid going on trips and like, you know, wanting to experience like, you know, what what do the locals think is cool um, and checking that out. So I think that's super yeah. cool. And I love how you're still true to, you know, the origin of the brand as well at the same time. Right. Yep. Yep. All those things work really, really well out there. So it's been it's been great. Yeah, it's been awesome to watch the brand grow. Uh, we're starting to run out of time here, but um, you know, anything else you're excited about for Topo and the future of the brand before we sign off? Yeah, I think overall, you know, like we were um, talking about at the very beginning, uh, it's just it's really cool to be at this next phase um, and sort of you know just looking at the opportunity that we're going to have um, in the outdoor industry and how it tends to evolve and um, what that space is going to be um, in the future for us. And, and hopefully, you know, we're positioned really well to um, be right in that sweet spot of, um, you know, everyday life and, and being outdoors and um, really trying to create uh, less of a, a hard line between both of those things. And, um, you know, I'm just looking forward to, to getting people um, outside and integrating it into their lives. I think, you know, over the past few years, people have been really doing that a lot more and, and seeing the benefits of it. Um, and, you know, that's been sort of one of our main goals um, since the beginning of Topo is just really kind of break down the barriers of, of getting outside, make it less seem less serious, integrate it more into your life. And you'll probably do it a lot more often if, if that's part yeah. of it and gain all those benefits from it. Have more fun. I love it. I, I love fun brands and I'm glad they're coming back. Uh, Jed, I really appreciate you taking the time. You're very busy. You've got a brand that's growing fast and, you know, making a lot of moves lately. So thanks so much for coming on for listeners who want to learn more about the brand. Where can they go and do that? Yeah, just go to uh, topodesigns.com or look us up uh, on the socials. Amazing. Um, yeah. And if you're in the Denver airport, swing by. Yeah, check us out there too. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Well, hey, like I said, thanks so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure chatting with you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Wavebreak Podcast. If you're not subscribed on iTunes or Spotify, go hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on future episodes. And if you're not on our email list, go sign up at wavebreak.co slash join. You'll join other e-commerce leaders at brands like Skims, Cartier, and Walmart, and thousands more learning exactly what's working in e-commerce right now. You won't want to miss it. Sign up at waybreak.co slash join. It's free. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Waybreak Podcast. I hope you have a wonderful day.